Thank you, Dan. Often when I hear introductions like that, I don't recognize myself. But anyway, thank you, Dan, for honoring us. Um, You know, I I was saying in the previous service that uh, whenever I come into this context, this church, I kind of have to compose myself because of just um, the, the obvious hand of God on this congregation. Uh, it's almost as if God has personally put his endorsement and his signature on you guys, and you are well spoken of around the world, certainly the world that Nadine and I are part of. Uh, people hear about you, and not only do you have a reputation, but you are leaving a legacy in this region, and that's a wonderful thing. You know, some people do have a reputation. Other people leave legacies. I think I prefer to leave a legacy. Well, you've done that already, and so I just want to commend you and honor you as a congregation and just to say well done for your faithfulness, for your service um, in this particular community. God bless you you guys and he is blessing you and he's going to continue to bless you so uh um i just want to also just welcome all of those that are listening online i do understand that there is a podcast available and so bless you this morning i'm going to be preaching on transition and i trust that even you who are online and not present with us will receive will receive in a big way also those of you sitting in the mom's room um i appreciate the fact that you've come out and you haven't let you know, just having little children uh, and all that you have to do in preparation. I mean, you've got to almost start preparing the day before just to come into a context like this. Um, and so I appreciate that you've made that effort. And I just want to say welcome to you. And I also trust that you this morning will receive as well. Great. Having done the introductions and telling you what it is I'm going to be preaching about, um, it is about transition. You know, I, I look at the church universal and we are always in a state of transition. When I look at the book of Revelations and I read about the seven churches and the letters that were written to those seven churches, you'll notice that in those letters there's always a point of commendation. They're always being commended for something that they've been strong with or strong in. And that's true for every congregation around the world is that God will make a deposit, and I like to call it a redemptive gift. He deposits it into the DNA of that congregation, and it's unique to that congregation. So there are certain things that are unique to yourselves. Um, There are certain things that are unique to the church that Nadine and I lead as well. However, there is also general DNA that is specific to every single church, and without embracing the general DNA, we would not be the church. We would not be a Christian church if we didn't believe in a Christ, correct? We wouldn't be a Christian church if we didn't do what we did last week, was simply celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so there is a DNA that's general, but the DNA that I'm wanting to talk about is this DNA of maturity, this DNA of being on journey in terms of transitioning from one particular moment to the next. Now, when you came to Christ and you prayed the prayer that declared Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, um, it's a prayer of repentance and it's a prayer of acknowledging who Jesus is. You are doing a U-turn and you're walking in another direction. Now, clearly what you need to do is separate yourself from the past. And so that's really what transition is. Transition isn't about keeping the one foot here and kind of looking into the future. And because there's so many unknowns, you're certain of the past, but you don't like the past and you're glad that you've given it up. But, you know, it actually means you lift up this foot and you begin to move. You see, that's what sanctification is. It's a big Bible word, but it simply describes you and I maturing. You and I being in a state of transition, always maturing. And so what I'm going to do this morning is just go back into the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And what we're going to look at is we're going to look at Joshua as he is now the person who is transitioning the leadership of the people of God 
First of all, you had Moses. And now you've got Joshua. As Joshua's the one who's going to take them across the prom- into the promised land. And so this is a massive transition. But for you and I, we're able to see what it is that God would have us to see around the dynamic of transition. So coming up behind me is the text that I'm wanting us to look at. And it's this one here found in Joshua chapter 5. The Lord said to Joshua, This day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal, which means rolling to this day. And the Israelites, the people of God, encamped at this place where the reproach of Egypt had been rolled away from them. You see, the Holy Spirit is really wanting us to get an understanding of what's going on here. And they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at evening in the plains of Jericho. I love the detail, but let's go on. It says, and on that same day, they ate the produce of the land. Everyone say produce of the land, because I want you to remember that. All right. Unleavened cakes and parched grain. Next text, it says, and the manna ceased on that day after they ate of the produce of the land. And the Israelites had manna no more, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And when Joshua was by Jericho, he looked up and behold, a man stood near him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, well, actually neither. But as prince of the Lord's host, have I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what says my Lord to his servant? And the prince of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Loose your shoes from off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now, of course, that last terminology we're familiar with because we already heard it when God's speaking to Moses at the burning bush moment, and he says exactly the same thing. So here we have Joshua. He is now the new leader. And so we read this particular text, and you've got the celestial being that comes out and simply stands before him, and he's intimidated by this individual. And so what he says is, is are you for me, or are you for them? And no, I'm for neither. I'm actually on God's side. I'm for God. And if you want to win this thing, you better go to my side. And so it's actually very helpful, because I can tell you this, that the people of God would never have crossed the Jordan. They would never gone to their promised land if they didn't have a Joshua in their life. And can I say this, that maybe several of you who are in the place of transition right now, and so this particular message kind of connects with you, but as the church in our DNA, we're always transitioning, we're always maturing. And so I, I, I look back at this text and I just think, all right, so God, I need to be on your side. I need to make sure that I've got a Joshua around about me so that I can discover the gold that's in me and so that I can go with the people that are telling me, Ashley, you can do this. I was saying to someone in the earlier meeting afterwards, they came up and they just said, wow, this has been a difficult time. I gave my life to Jesus in September. And he says, gee, within a month or two, I lost my job. I was made redundant. And he said, gee, it was just an awkward place to be in. And I said, well, clearly you're in transition. I'm stating the obvious to you because you are. You now go to find a new job. And, of course, they're moving into a new city as well. And I said, but in the place of transition, you know what happens is God never, never wants us to be comfortable because actually what he's doing, he's moving you to something greater, something better. And so in this particular constable, uh, uncomfortable place, I said, you know what? If you think about Jesus and Peter. And so there's a moment where they come to him and they say, oh, you've got to pay some tax, Jesus. Are you and this disciple of yours? And so Jesus says, all right, Peter, just go and take the rod, put a hook on and go and fish in the sea there and, and, and catch that fish. He removes the fish and out of the fish's mouth is the tax, is the coin. And so how many of you would agree with me that for a fish, the most comfortable place for it to be is in the ocean or in water? And so actually, the most uncomfortable place for it to be is out of the water. 
But actually only when it's out of the water is that which is needed for God's provision in your life is actually found in its mouth. And so for you as well, as you come into this place of transition and you might feel like a fish out of water, it's when God's able to reveal to you the gold that's in you. And actually it's in those tests and in those trials and in those disappointments that God is building character in us. But what we often do is we park next to our disappointment. We park next to our failures. We park next to the things that have made us sad. When in fact what we should do is not be like Judas. Judas parked next to his failure, his betrayal of Jesus. And as a result of that, there was no forgiveness for him. And he went and killed himself. But that's not true for Peter. Peter never parked next to his betrayal. Never parked next to his disappointment. Actually moved on and simply came to Jesus. When he saw Jesus and he heard him on the beach, he jumped out of his boat and and he began to swim to him or get to him. But he knew, listen, that's where I can find restoration and forgiveness. And that's what happened. And so let's not park next to our disappointments. And so that's why we're always in the state of transition. Because life is never just always good and kind to us. And sometimes we have an excuse and we just feel that we've made this now our identity, our failures and our disappointment and our sadness. You know, this is where we choose to live. We throw away the keys and we end up in a cell, in a prison, a prison that we identify with. But that's not what God wanted us to do. He didn't want us to stay in Egypt, this land of bondage. And so God's moving us and he's nudging us into the promised land, into a place of, of, of milk and honey. And sometimes I think we undervalue ourselves. And we borrowed something from this church because I know that you have a roster where you pray on a, on a daily basis. And we borrowed that. We said, gee, that's a brilliant idea. And as a result of having done that, we simply set the tone of what it is that we should be praying for. The testimonies of answered prayer have been flowing in. It's amazing. We're just hearing about the goodness and the faithfulness of God as the people of God are praying. And you can just see that as they're simply asking, and it says, ask of me, you don't have because you don't ask. And it's just that God would say to you all, I love you. I love you. And we don't hear that often. And so we don't line ourselves up with God's opinion of us. We just kind of keep ourselves in this place of, well, I'll park here because I don't feel the way that the Bible says that I should feel. But in actual fact, God's simply saying, I love you. You're my bride. You're my church. And so he just wants us to know that as you move into that promised land, something happens here. And that's where this church is going to be poised right now. Promised land stuff. And so here we are. We're in Egypt. And I always find that when God moves me from one place into the next He gives me a different diet. And I need to make sure that if I'm going to move, I better get used to the new diet that God's going to give to me because there's a reason for it. And so here it begins. In Egypt. What's the diet in Egypt? Garlic, leeks, and onions. And the problem with that is when you eat garlic, leeks, and onions, people know that you've eaten garlic, leeks, and onions because they can smell you. And so what happens is you can't simply take that diet with you when you're stepping into the next zone because all you're going to be is just a stinky person with a different location right now. So you can't do that. You've got to make sure that actually for them, Israel moved out of Egypt. And God was so serious about their moving out and leaving it that those who tried to follow them got swallowed up in the Red Sea and they drowned. He was going to cut them off and he was going to liberate his people into the next space, which was the wilderness. Why? Because garlic, leeks, and onions, that's the food of bondage. That's the food of Egypt. God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to move. And so now we move. Now they're in the wilderness. Wow, what's next? (laughs) A thing called manna. Their new diet. 
manna. What does that mean? In Hebrew, the literal translation is, what is it? The food of uncertainty. Isn't it incredible? <laughs> you come into church. I remember I got saved. I was this young surfing champion at the age of 16. My life was surfing. That's where I lived. That was my culture. That was my identity. And now suddenly I come to Christ and I discover all of this wonderful stuff. But I stepped into a church. I had no reference of a church like the one that I'd stepped into. And suddenly I'm seeing people with their hands raised. Are they waving at the pastor? Is he waving at us? What's going on? You know, it's like, what is it with these people that are raising their hands? What is it with this offering thing that comes around? What is it with this tithe? What's with that? What's with it that the fact that they're telling me I shouldn't just show up for church, I should join up because I need to have a, a heart for the vision of the house. What's with that? Vision, house, community groups. What's with that? <laughs> I've got to get baptized. What? Well, you know, you kind of go into the water and what? What's with that? What's with the baptism? Food of uncertainty. But while I'm in this place, what God is teaching me is just the fundamentals and the basic of what's going to give me life in my Christian walk. And so when, the, when you embrace all of that and you realize, well, I'm going to stop asking questions. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. What's with that? And, 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 and speaking in tongues? No. Whoa. What's with speaking in tongues? I remember the first time I was in church and someone stood up next to me and they began to speak in other tongues. I want to tell you, I freaked out. I could, and plus, this was my mate. This was a friend of mine who was in my class at school. And here in the church service, he takes the floor and he begins to give this message in tongues. And I'm like, whoa, what is this? Food of uncertainty. I moved away. I thought this is scary stuff. Never heard it before. Only to understand that that's what the Bible teaches. And it's an experience for the church, everyone. And so the food of uncertainty, that's what happens. And now, we're moving on. Because that's what the scripture tells us. Is that we're moving now into the promised land. And so what diet awaits for us here? So just when Jamie Oliver has now just sent his book and it's now about to be released, A Thousand Ways to Prepare Manna, you read this text. And on the day that they crossed over, Joshua says to them, you're going to eat. The produce of the land. Because you see, God promised this to you. God said it was milk and honey. And so for 40 years, what's happened is you've lived on a diet of garlic, leeks, and onions. And then God moved you from there. And now you've just been living on manna and quail, the food of uncertainty. And so all I did was just teach you provision. I was teaching you my protection. I was giving you character. And I was wanting you to understand that actually the promised land, you're going to remember this. And you're going to remember that I was faithful. And so that's what happens. Cross over into the promised land. Immediately, what happened before is gone. And so now what we've got is you can have whatever you are willing to break the ground for. Whatever you're willing to break the ground for. And sometimes in our Christianity, we're reticent and we're hesitant and we're nervous to ask. And God is simply saying to this congregation, you ask. Ask of me. You don't have because you don't ask. Well, can I ask? Well, of course, because he looks at you as his delightful one. You are the apple of his eye. And so from a point of view of us just stepping into that place and realizing who we are, this is by grace that I stand here. 
And as I have this relationship with my heavenly father, and the Bible says to me, you ask not, you, you don't have because you don't ask. So therefore, what things soever I desire, when I pray, I should believe that I receive them. And so when I look at this text, that's what he's saying. Now, the food that you're going to get, this is the diet. It's the food of freedom. That's what the promised land is about. That's where God is taking you. It's being confident, taking your family together and just declaring the promises of God and just simply saying, we know God is faithful. This is where we're at right now. Come on, God wants us to plant. So whatever we're going to put in the ground is going to grow. That's the promise to the people of God. And so no longer is it just going to be quail and manna. Now, if you want strawberries, plant strawberries. You want watermelon, plant watermelon. You want plums, you want peaches. You want cabbage, you want lettuce. You want maize, you want wheat. Plant, 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 plant. See, God wants us to be active with His promises. Don't ever be passive. Don't ever just cross your legs and look back and think, okay, God, you said it, so you're going to do it. No, God says, no, I work with you. You work with me, I work with you. That's how it is. There's this partnership. And so what happens is we begin to plant and we begin to sow and we begin to do things. Well, I'm in a difficult place financially. Well, then sow. I'm in a difficult place relationally. Well, then sow. And all we're doing is as we sow in the promised land, God says, this is now the food of freedom, is that there are no restrictions on the church today. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm just passionate. Eh? <laughs> you know, I was telling the earlier congregation that um, as a, we, we, we've been going for, for 40 years, a little longer than that, but in terms of when the gentleman who gave the church a new beginning, his name is Dudley Daniel, back in 1979 on the 6th of September. Um, so we're actually, from that particular date to now, we're working on a 40-year celebration presently in our congregation. And I mean, I really have to say that it's an absolute privilege for us to lead that particular congregation because clearly, like you're experiencing, we enjoy the blessing and the favor of God enormously. And so I um, was at the Hillsong Conference with Starler and Dan last year in, in, in the O2 Arena, and uh, I was just being soaked up soaking up this, the, the bigness of it all and just admiring just the, this incredible God that we serve and just in full admiration of, of his goodness to Nadine and I and to what it is that we enjoy back home in South Africa. Um, and I felt God say to me, you've got momentum, probably more movement than momentum, but you're also comfortable, but you don't have any direction. And I was shocked. I thought, whoa. Because I suddenly realized it's true. We do have a great campus. But the fact that we have the great campus and the fact that we've been going for 40 years, it can result, because it's been well stewarded, it can result in it being in a place of comfort. And I just felt God say to me, God, I've not put you in a place of comfort. Comfort is never for convenience. Actually, comfort is because I have a purpose for you. And sometimes it is like that. Oh, I'm enjoying the blessing of God. Well, don't get too comfortable because that's simply because I'm blessing you. I'm showing you my faithfulness. That's what you'll experience in the wilderness. That's what you'll experience in Egypt. But right now it's because I've got bigger things for you. I've got bigger things for you. And so I remember in that moment, I just said, God, well, well what next? And so I had been playing around with this thing of, well, we've been going for 40 years. Well, what about the next 40 years? You see, the danger is that 40 years is great. But what if you begin to live in this 40 years, and this is what you become known for, is a 40-year experience of credibility and integrity in the city, when in actual fact God has a future for us to live in. And so what are we going to do? Because gravity always pulls towards the larger thing. 
And so I just realized in that moment, I'd been playing. I said, well, you know what? And I went to the people who'd been in the church for a while. I said, can you see another 40 years? And they said, oh, of course, yes. I said, well, let me ask you this question. Can you see 100 years? Oh, I know, you know, Jesus is coming, you know. So. And I said to them, well, hold on. We don't know when he's coming. In fact, the scripture even says that he doesn't know when he's coming. But he did say this, we've got to occupy till he comes. So how about a 100-year vision? And it wasn't just a thumbsack. It was so that we could deliberately move away from this 40-year memory of incredible legacy and incredible things that God has done is to say, whoa, wait a minute. The next 100 years is going to be way better than what it is that we experienced right then and there. So I went back to the church. I sat with my leaders and I said, I think we should have a 100-year vision. And you know what? I've got people of faith around about me. And I just so appreciate the fact that we've been in this place where there are people that have believed in Nadine and I. And so I want to say we've had the Joshua's that have taken us into our wilderness and into the promised land. We've had those around about us that have literally blown wind in our sails and have said, you can do it, you can do it. When frankly, I had no confidence ever that I'd ever be leading a church. And so you need the Joshua's. You need, the, you need a congregation that you can be part of. You need a community that's going to behave like a Joshua and actually take you into that place. Food of freedom. The menu of freedom. Where you actually sit and you eat with the grown-ups. It's not like dad's looking over your shoulder and saying, no, you can have this and you can have this, you can have this. No, no, no. Now it's the freedom of actually making your own order from the menu because that's how God sees you. And see so how we look at this particular text. Food of freedom. You've got Joshua, this incredible man of stature. Say, so in my hundred year vision, I remember in that moment asking God, well, so where to next? And he said, I want you to pull out the plans of the three and a half thousand seater. When Nadine and I started at Bryanston 18 years ago, I remember within the first six months, I found a friend of mine, Peter Switchell. I said, Peter, you're an architect. You come up and draw me a three and a half thousand seater. And so we went to the council and we submitted his plans. And they turned to us and they said, sorry, you can't have this because you don't have the parking. And so unbeknown to me, there was a whole section of our property that we had sold off to Shell uh, before my time. Shell, the petroleum company. And... Um, <clears throat> But they had allowed us the use of that particular property. And so we basically just thought, well, we could continue to use that as parking. And they said, no, you can't because Shell is wanting to build one of these ultra city um, fuel stations. And so I was a little discouraged, rolled the plans up. And they've been for 18 years stuck away in a cupboard. And I came back. I pulled that out, found an architect friend. Well, actually, he wasn't a friend. He is now. But I found one. said, come up. And I uh, showed him the plans, took him around the campus, and he said, you know what, we need to push this plan aside because this plan is too small. You need a 5,000-seater. I swallowed hard. I thought, God, if you're not in it, I don't want to be in it all. But you see, I have to move away from the 40 years. I've got to move into the 100 years. And it's not so much that I'm looking to leave a legacy. I just want to make sure that the people who, you know what, when I look back and I've just, with the 40 years, what I've had to do is go back and I've been a little bit of a stickler for the history of the church. And I've gone right back and I've interviewed and I've asked people who are around to tell me what it used to look like. And we've had things come back. There was a, one of the young, young ladies at the time used to say, oh, we used to love going to church because it was just felt. It was just bush, man. There was nothing there. In fact, just to keep the ground or the the grass cut, we actually brought, uh, brought some goats. 
And she said, we used to play with the goats, and we loved playing with the goats. And I just thought, wow, that's cool. That's why you came to church, to play with the goats, you know. All right. <clears throat> then uh, other people said, you know, we, we wanted to buy a building. In fact, we, the offerings, I mean, we, we were a small church back in the time. And, and so we went out, and we bought this big piece of property. And it was amazing, because in the offerings, there were rings. There were Krugerrand gold coins. People sold their cars. People sold their homes. There was a sacrifice just to make this place count for God. And today we live in this place with this address that we're part of was bought 40 years ago. There was sacrifice. There was a price. The people had a future. It would be wrong. It would be an indictment against them and an indictment against our God if we didn't have a future that included some challenges and some big things. But God wants that for us, all of us. We're in transition. We're moving in transition. <sighs> Watermelons, strawberries, whatever you want. The limits are removed and the demand now is placed on your faith. Your fruitfulness is going to be linked to discomfort. So let me bring this to a close because this is such an important meeting. This is an occasion where we actually bring in onto the eldership team some more shepherds to come and help govern. It's not promotion. It isn't. I think Nadine and I are amazed at how many people think the moment you come into eldership, it's like forever. You know, once an elder, always an elder. No, it isn't because eldership always has an accompanied function. If your function is not there, then please step off. doesn't mean that you're now a sinner. It just means that clearly for that particular season, the hand of God was on you for that period. And so therefore you could invest together with his accompanied anointing. But your function could change. Now let me tell you, it's real. People's function change. We are in transition. I do not function the way I did 20 years ago when I was leading a church in Pretoria. Transitioning a church, the one that we lead now in Johannesburg. I want to tell you from 18 years ago to where I am now, my function has changed significantly. I do not do the things that I did then by way of work and effort. And so your function changes. And so what happens is God will anoint me for the function. But actually, you know what? There's going to come a day when Nadine and I won't be leading the team that leads the work. What then? Where's my identity? If I found my identity in the fact that I lead this incredible campus, I'm in trouble. And I've had my little, my moment, my flashpoint moment when I was praying one morning in my garden. And I was just saying, God, you know what? In the event of that, what next? And in an instant, I felt this. You will always have relevance to me and to the body of Christ in this place of prayer that you're standing in. He said, because in this moment, you are hearing from me this sonship, and you are, I'm your father. And I just felt the security of that, and I realized, you know what? If all of this goes, my identity is not in the leading of a campus. My identity is now found in the fact that I am in Christ. But more than that, I am in Christ, but I have a relationship with my father. And for the rest of my life, my place of relevance is going to be in that place of prayer. Can I tell you how comforting that is? But can I tell you that I've had to let go and release the dynamic of functionality and always thinking, well, I'll always be an elder. I might be a voice. I might be able to give a perspective, but that doesn't mean I'm not counting anymore because God actually, even in that place, will have better things for me. <laughs> so here we are looking at Joshua. 
And so we've got Odette and we've got Jason that are coming onto the eldership. It's not promotion. It's just simply increased responsibility. That's all it is. Increased responsibility. We're not called to own the church. No, no, no. We're called to steward the church and to shepherd the church and to give oversight and governance. And so here we are looking at Joshua. And Joshua is recognizing a moment here where he realized, oh, this is the king of the prince of the Lord's army, the captain of the Lord's hosts. You know, I better make sure that I know who I'm following here. And so what happens is this is the exchange. It says, Joshua, just take your shoes off your feet because this is holy ground. And I love that because for every leader, their place of identity has to be in their place of intimacy and worship and prayer. You see, because when I've got my shoes off and I'm in the desert, you know the desert well, I not only have sand to contend with, hot sand in the middle of the day, if it's that time of the year, or else it's just rocks. Okay, And so if I have my shoes off, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going to run off because city life sometimes demands that of us. Always something to do. People to see, wake up, places to go, things to do. And so what I have to do now is just realize, no, 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 take my shoes off and just linger so that I could have my storehouse, so that I could be replenished, so that I could be full, so that I can prioritize what it is that God's called me to. And so that's really what this is about. This is about a moment where God has been very selective and he is handpicking people to come and to lead his people. God's design was that he would have leaders to lead his people. So here we go. He said, Moses said to the 12 tribes, leaders, come and bring your staffs, which is a stick. And he said, come and bring them and lay them down. And so there were these 12 staffs. And he said, all right, fine. I've heard from God and we need to have a priesthood and I need one of you tribes to lead that particular priesthood. So we've been very defined and very specific in what we need to do here because this is God's idea. And so God is simply saying, you leave the sticks there and you come back and let's see which one of them has life. All right, fine, put the stick down and off they go wondering how this is going to turn out. And they come back and there's one stick. The Bible says Aaron's rod budded and there were almonds on it. The sign of new life. And so everybody looks at their stick and it's dead. They look at his, and this is it. When it comes to leadership, what we're looking for is people who can produce results and people who can produce fruit. It's saying the same thing, but using different words. And so that's what we're looking at. And God is saying, I'm putting more elders in this congregation. I'm putting more responsibility on you as a church because of what he has in mind for this particular region. I loved what Dan prayed at the beginning of our time here, where there was just this declaration of let there be an open heavens over this region. But we need leaders. And so here we go. <laughs> but then you've got all the other religions in the world that simply put their hand up and said, oh, no, no, we'll be the savior for mankind. So God said, that's fine. So let's line them up. So you get Confucius. You get Krishna. You get Hitler. You get Lenin, Stalin, maybe John Lennon, whoever else. All these people that kind of advocate that they can give. Mahatma Gandhi, you know, put Jesus there as well. And God says, fine. I'll kill them all. So all of them died. Killed them. One shot. But guess what? We got to celebrate the resurrection of only one of them last week. And that is Jesus. You see, that's where the fruit is. So when you look for leadership, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for people that can produce fruit. And so here we go. We're going to bring onto this eldership team this delightful couple. Where is Jason and Odette? They're here. Come and stand. I don't know if your kids are still in the meeting. Um, we did pray for them. I'm going to ask the elders if you wouldn't mind joining us. And Dan, is there anyone else that you want up here? Or are you just good with that? Yeah. 
me come down. You know, one thing about being on eldership, and it was something that Nadine and I discovered, was that our relationship with the congregation changed. And you're probably thinking, it did? Well, it's true. Suddenly you and I are in a situation where you're hearing everything. You get to know everyone's story, and not everyone's story is a nice story. And so what needs to happen is there's got to be elements of confidentiality. I mean, obviously, this eldership team needs to have credibility. And the moment the eldership team loses its credibility, well, then it becomes chaotic for the people because they can no longer trust the team that you've actually, that God's put in here. And the thing is that this team is not perfect. And so what happens is that they need your prayers because they're the ones that are praying for you. But the truth is, is that the relationship changes. So I'm telling you this because I've mentioned it to them. It's different. So I'm asking you, please don't put pressure on them because some of you are their mates and you're going to come to them and say, oh, what's it like an eldership? And they're not going to be able to tell you because there's a lot of stuff that goes down in eldership that other people don't want you to know about because of confidentialities. And so I share that just to let you know, be kind to them, love them, all right? The other thing is, is that their family's going to be looked at differently. Their kids, I mean, we, I'm, I'm speaking out of experience here. I mean, if there's anything that really can hurt is when I make a decision, but oh my goodness, my kids are implemented or implicated is the real word because that can happen. Honestly, at one stage, we had to take our boy out of school because I made a particular decision. And man, I want to tell you, all the parents were annoyed. And so they were just wanting my head and they would speak freely. And my little boy would hear about it. And it was just a disaster. And so the teacher said, listen, just keep him out of school for a week or two while everything just calms down. And I was just so annoyed that parents are just insensitive. Hey, boy, you Ashley Bell's son. You know, what, what, what can a six-year-old or seven-year-old do? And so actually, it's like that. You know, your kids are going to be looked at differently. All right? And uh, people are going to look at your marriage differently. They look at everything. You guys are now exposed, you know. People think it's nice to be on eldership. But your life needs to be so together. (laughs) But God gives you a grace. He really will. This couple are a great couple. The Bible speaks about if you can manage your household well, well then that's a good qualification. And they've got a great family. They've got a great marriage. And you know what? They're going to be great leaders. And so what we're going to do is we're going to pray. We're going to lay hands on them and just release them into this new authority that God wants to give them. They're a gift to you. Let me share this with you. I remember for Christmas, I, I bought Jordan a bicycle when he was little. It was his first bicycle ever. And uh, I noticed on Christmas Day, after his attempt to ride this thing, he'd left it out on the grass. And in South Africa, over Christmas period, you get these especially where we live, you get these thunderstorms. We're not known as one of the lightning capitals of the world for nothing. All the mineral wealth that's in the ground certainly attracts lightning. And so um, I saw this. So I called him. I said, so listen, boy, um, you know what's going to happen here? Because your bicycle, do you like it? Yeah, no, Dad, I love my bike. I said, all right, now, so, so when it rains, it's going to get wet. And you know what rain will do to your bicycle? It's going to rust it. And when rust gets into your bicycle, I was hardly finished. And he was out there. He was out there going to fetch his bike. He didn't want it to rust. And so as he brought it in, I said, come, let me help you. We're going to dry this thing because it mustn't get wet. Because if it's rusted, then you know what? It's going to not give you as much pleasure. I said, you need to look after this gift. And can I say that to you? This couple arrive here as a gift. And so what you need to do is be praying for them. You know, pray for your leaders. You know what? It's actually part of spiritual armory to pray for your leaders. 
you know what? You will receive a protection when you pray for your leaders. And I've got a whole teaching on that out of Ephesians chapter 6. And so pray for them because they're her gift to you. All right, so I'm going to ask, would you mind standing with me? This is a moment that is really awesome. Before we do. I'll try and give you the second half. Um, um, I just felt for you that um, God's going to make you um, a greater man of courage because the ministry does demand that you are a courageous leader and a courageous man. But when I went for a walk yesterday there at Stala's um, villa, I came across a tree that I've never seen before, and then I went and looked it up on the internet, and it's called the, um, the Jerusalem tree, and it only grows in the Middle East. And, and it was beautiful when I walked towards it, and then when I came closer, I saw that it had thorns on it, and the leaves looked like um, railway tracks. And in an instant, I just felt that God said, this was um, for you guys, where, um, yes, there are going to be the hard conversations you will have to have with people, it's not easy. It is painful. The thorns can prick. Sheep can bite. But um, if you come from a place of praying for the sheep, loving them, it will be the fragrance, which is the flower. And you always have to point them back to God, to Jesus, because of the railway tracks. I mean, it literally, the little leaves look just like that. I was actually quite amazed. So I'll, ne- I'll always look at a Jerusalem tree and think of the Shephamans, always. And then I, just, I was just thinking in the meeting as well, when Jesus ministered to the crowd, um, their eyes were fixed on him. And while the crowd's eyes were fixed on Jesus, the sick, the lame, those that are hurting came, came, came closer to Jesus. They actually pushed into the crowd. So if your eyes are fixed on Jesus, Jason, and coming from a place of praying for the sheep, and your eyes are fixed on Jesus, it will bring other people closer. It'll bring the unsaved. It'll bring them closer if your eyes are fixed on Jesus. And then, in turn, you can help them to fix their eyes on Jesus. And that's, um, yeah. Why don't you stretch out your hands to them if you would do that. Father, this is such a wonderful moment. I know that it registers in heaven as well. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you anoint this couple for the service that you've called them to? A double portion, Father double portion of anointing as you release them into the office of elder father embryonically there is a gift in both of them that is going to take this church into the promised land father their promised land and they can ask and believe and receive and so lord we we lay hands on them and we ordain them in the name of jesus the father the son and the holy spirit we release them into this greater work of what it is that you've called them to and as a congregation we say yes lord